Hello, Justin here. Welcome to episode 48 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Our guest this week is Mike McFadden of the band Animal Years. Mike is the singer, he is the guitar player, and it was great to have Mike on because Mike and I have some history. Before Mike was in the band Animal Years doing his thing, touring the country coming up this month, uh, again, he uh, was a solo artist in Baltimore, and I got to play a bunch of shows with him. I was playing bass for him, and uh, it's cool. Still to this day, when I pick up a bass, uh, I often go to some of those bass lines. So this was really exciting. I urge everyone, hop on a YouTube, search Animal Years, and check out all the content that they have out with plenty of more to come. And look for some tour dates of Animal Years. Uh, they're probably coming to a state near you if you're in the States, and uh, I definitely would urge you to go check them out. I want to send some love quickly to our sponsor this week. That's Nata Tattoo. Nata Tattoo is a certified organic, certified vegan, certified all natural, uh, and made in the good old US of A tattoo care company. Uh, they make all these wonderful uh, pieces that will help you to protect your new or your older tattoos. Uh, you can head over to natatattoo.com to check out everything that they currently have out. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T, the number two, dot com. Uh, anything you want to buy in their store, if you enter the code CHOCOLATE, 25. It's chocolate, the number's 25. At the at checkout, you'll receive 25% off your order. So hop on over to that. You could also hop on over to our Facebook.com, uh, our Facebook, not .com, our Facebook group. And that's Facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. And we're currently running a tattoo contest. So all you would have to do if you're not already a part of the group is click the little button. It's a private group, but we'll make sure you get in. You find the contest, we think it's pinned to the top, or whatever the new thing is, it's not pinning, and uh, you'll share a picture of one of your favorite tattoos, and you'll tell a story about it, and you'll then be entered uh, to potentially win one of these awesome care kits that Matt, Jordan, and I have been playing with now for a couple months. So that's it. Join the Facebook group. Uh, if you have a little bit of free time, we'd love you to hop on over to YouTube, search Chocolate Croissants Podcast. Please subscribe to our page as we just put up the first episode, and uh, all of the episodes will be up very shortly. We're working very hard to, to finish that one, and Joe is helping us out immensely with that one as well. Lastly, uh, if you want to hear any of these episodes and you're not uh, always hopping onto your Podbean or iTunes or Stitcher, whatever player you use to listen to your episodes, uh, and you're just playing on your computer and you want to check out some older episodes, head on over to the website, which is pretty new. It's chocolatecroissants.com. It's that simple. And with that said, I will uh, let you go and listen to this wonderful episode. And this is episode 48 with Mike McFadden of the band Animal Years. Have you ever heard of people that um, stutter, like have really bad stutters, but when they sing, it goes away? I have, yeah. Actually, there's um, this mycologist, Paul Stamets. He's, mm -hmm. um, he's like probably the, the most well-versed and most published um, like 
guy who studies mushrooms and he talked about doing like the hero's journey where he think it's like you take a couple grams or something of mushrooms and he said he dealt with uh, a really bad stutter growing up and there was always this like really attractive girl who would kind of approach him every day or he would approach and they'd pass by and he wouldn't say anything and when he went through this journey he like climbed up a tree and he got higher and higher oh as he was getting higher and higher air quotes kind of thing right mm-hmm. um he just he said to himself like i'm not going to stutter anymore i'm not going to stutter anymore i'm not going to stutter anymore and he said that the uh, his like neurological pathways seem to be have been like rewritten from the mushrooms, which would be supposedly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the next day, when he approached her because he had this maybe confidence or just he just knew he wasn't going to, he just knew and he didn't stutter. It was like, "Hey, how are you, Paul?" And he was like, "Fine." You know, it's amazing. Thanks. They. Yeah. Um- I just read something about them studying psilocybin, which is, I think, the active ingredient or yeah. chemical in, in mushrooms, in mushrooms um, that they're using to study how it affects the brain and could possibly, you know, if they if the laws agree, could could use it to, you know, positively affect that people. Was, that was like one of the biggest mm-hmm. reasons why I wanted to apply for one of these dietetic internships at Hopkins because... The guy you're talking about, Doctor, I think it's Roland Griffiths. Okay, he's doing. Um, I think he did like seven or eight hundred patients, one with psilocybin, and then I think the other was with MDMA. Now, I know he, Tim Ferriss invests in some of that research at Hopkins. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, he'll talk about it often. I wonder. I've I've heard someone like Tim Ferriss talk about how when they invent, and this kind of goes off like on a it veers. But do you it, get but their five back. little? Sorry, the, his five little his email with the five, five little Friday. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's cool. Yeah, Matt I'm does too. If I'm lazy, I'll just go for the quote and check out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I want to say that it was Tim. Tim talked about like when you have uh, a stock portfolio and you you decide to sell a certain stock, uh, instead of paying the tax on your stock, you can donate what would be the taxable portion to a like nonprofit. So I've seen or I've heard, and I'm pretty sure it was Tim Ferriss talking about this. That he took money and he donated it to um, Dr. Peter Atia, who does a lot of ketogenic study, like studies on like eating a high fat diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that's something for anyone to think about. Anyone who's who is into the stock market, if you go to sell uh, a stock that you're holding, you can donate the taxable portion. I mean that's pretty badass. Side yeah. note, Justin, I was with our dad today, and he told me that I think in the late '90s he bought. And lost a lot of money in Boston market stock. Wow, I do remember that. Uncle's <laughs> uncle, one of our uncles on mom's side, tipped him off on that. Oh well, great financial advice. Of so, course. Mike, you started first of all. Uh, this is Jordan. Welcome to episode forty-eight of the Chaka Croissants podcast. Our guest is Mike McFadden of the band Animal Years. Yo yo, uh, I got some bells. And all right, that I was is, wondering what those were for. Yes, uh, now you now you know. Welcome so you guys to my have apartment. Sound effects and everything here. It's Jingle pretty... bell all the way, my man. Yeah. Well, you know, after 48 episodes, yeah. we now have a production you budget. You guys could see this space. It's it's amazing. Um, so uh, you started, Mike, talking about uh, singing and that kind of preventing stuttering. Is that where you were going? Yeah. Continue, my friend. Well, no, I, I think before, um, what was I talking about before that, that led up to that? You were showing us a YouTube channel like three to four minutes. The lisp in the British accent? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was, uh, 
I was saying I'm glad you have a windscreen on here because uh, I do have a lisp. And then I was saying it's, and then you were asking me. Uh, oh, I said I hate. I said I wasn't going to listen to this actually because I hate the way I sound. What do you think? Most people. I'm not used to listening to myself talk. I'm used to listening to myself sing. So that's fine. And I feel like I sound normal when I sing, but when I talk, when I hear it back, I'm just like, oh, I really don't like that. And um, and then we started talking about um, uh, English singers and how when they sing for the most part unless they have a very like cockney kind of <laughs> accent they sound american and just how amazing that is you know we've been hanging for like 30 minutes prior to starting to record and you and i've known each other for a long time you know i don't think you and i've ever really like hung out outside of being a- around a show or something like that i've never noticed that you've had a lisp to be honest until you brought that up just before we hit yeah, record. it's just subtle enough i think that 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 some people don't notice it but i went to a lot of speech therapy when i was a uh, a kid because i was trying to be a singer and i thought that was important and uh ended up not being that important and i never fully fully fixed it and now it's just like there's no reason to really to do it what does like the speech pathologist work on with you oh man it was so long ago um but some just like tongue placement when you're talking and like keeping it behind your teeth because a lisp is i mean for people that don't know, it's pretty self-explanatory, but it's when your tongue just kind of like rests in the middle of your teeth, I guess, or like somewhere close enough where the S Is it sound. from the air? Yeah. Hmm. It's weird. I haven't like thought about it in so long. But when you sing, is it, is it not there when you sing? I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. Go listen to Animal Years I'm, I'm, and see I'm if- trying to think because like- <laughs> There was a time I did play bass with you, right. and, and I did listen yeah, to the disc- tracks. Do we have all to the see time? the disclaimer here? That- I think, I think that it is there, but it's very, very, very subtle, just like it is now. And it, it's, um, but it's like a, it's an endearing quality that makes you you. Yeah. So like, fuck it. We we had a a gent on here who um, he had a a, a pretty hard lisp. Um, or more of like a speech impediment or maybe. speech impediment potentially. Yeah, of course. And, um, and we chatted for like 90 minutes and it never once occurred to me to even like bring it up because like I noticed it, but it just, it wasn't a thing to me. Yeah. It just felt like it was him. Yeah. You know I mean, that was the whole package. That's what you get with it. Yeah. It was just, it, it was what it was. It wasn't like it was, you know, it wasn't good, bad. And it was whatever. It was very indifferent. We just, yeah. We just, had a great conversation. It didn't matter. So you wanted to sing as a kid? Yeah. How old were you? Um, I was uh, I was about six or seven years old and did the whole... Um, Star search? Ch- church? No. No, I did the uh, uh, church thing. What does that mean? We're a bunch oh, yeah. of Jews that run a podcast that forgot, forgot. don't have any really religious <laughs> affiliation. Um, so, I mean, we weren't terribly religious, but we would go to church on Sundays and I, I just got, ended up getting, because I do Sunday school, and so I got into the choir there and um, it wasn't, it didn't really interest me at all, but I did learn how to sing and then um, got out of that um, and started doing more of like performing and went to like did summer stock and all that stuff. And then what's that? Uh, like summer camp with where it's like all performing arts, theater, dance, um, music. 
So they went with stock instead of Palooza to name. Yeah, I don't know why it's called that. It's some, for some reason. Um, but you hear like actors talk about there. You'd be like, we did summer stock. And, oh, I do remember that. Yeah, and um, I ended up just like focusing on music. I really wasn't like trying to be a triple threat or anything. I was like, music, music, music. I don't want to do. I wasn't really interested in theater, and um, started. Um, you know, like around middle school, like picking up instruments and then realizing I could sing and then like, oh, I should play something along with this too. When so. did you feel like you found an, a band or a genre that resonated with you as a kid? Uh, man, it was uh, with our with our buddy Zach Merrick from All Time Well. Um, started, I, I picked up bass and we were in like a cover band together that did all like pop punk stuff. Did he not play bass? He... Or he was in a band. I don't know what happened. He was in a band. He played guitar. I think he left to go like be in a very successful band that wasn't successful then. (laughs) But um, I think he like left to go play bass with All Time Low, and I like filled in bass on this like cover band in middle school, which I can't even remember the name of. But we were all into the same stuff, you know. Um, But what was interesting for me growing up was when when All Time Low and Jordan and I were in Boy Crazy and all those other bands were around you weren't really a part of that scene. Yeah. It really didn't come. It, for me, I, I feel like I didn't really see you kind of step into that light um, until maybe when I was more in college than in high school. But even at, at that point in time, you were still off doing your own thing. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to do, I just didn't feel like I didn't have the confidence to like step in. I was, I was more like from afar going to the shows and um, playing on my own, and then learned so learned how to play with the pop punk stuff, and then got into the singer songwriters like Ray Lamontagne and um, Martin Sexton and John Mayer and all that stuff. And then um, didn't really start doing performances until like my senior year of high school. I did like a, a record theater uh, blowout. That's the venue in Towson, Maryland. That's now um, sadly a, a, a EDM nightclub, which is just like. Which is just depressing. <laughs> Do you think way. it was something where because you weren't in a band with some kind of band name that wasn't your own, you know, you were more of a solo artist who yeah. then would grab a couple of guys to go gig with you. Do you think that was something? Because most of the bands around at that time were bands. Everybody was in a band. Nobody was like yeah. a solo artist, uh, singer songwriter who was then going out there and performing with a band. Yeah. Well, if you're going to be a solo artist, like you have to have a lot of motivation, especially when you're that young. Cause in a band, it's like, you all get to hype each other up and you're in middle school and it's like all four of you and you get talking about it and you all help each other and practice and pull your resources and your, your friends and everything and do shows. I mean, that's how like band, like your band, I mean, just like the networking that you used to do. I remember you telling me stories of like, just you guys going to the mall and stuff and like selling tickets and everything. I think that was you, right? It was a whole operation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'd even bring in and, younger kids at the mall and split up into teams <laughs> and just create competition within ourselves to sell the most tickets. But the point is that it was like a group effort and we could rely on each other and we could motivate each other. Shit's hard by yourself. Yeah, of yes. course. And, when, and, and like we talk about it with this podcast because for the three of us individually, a lot of us do a lot of work uh, on our own. And it's just, it's just not as fulfilling. It's just not as exciting because the highs are, are that much greater and the lows are, are fine because someone can pick you up. You know, the highs are great because you get to celebrate together all these successes. Yeah. When you're on your own, it's, it's tough. And so for us, we were fortunate to, 
not only was it was it four of us guys all that had more extroverted personalities, but then we would we seemed to attract others that were similar. And so then it was like Jordan said, it was a whole group effort, way different from us trying to go at it alone. Yeah. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta motivate yourself. And so I think a lot of it was me like, you know, tinkering and like, and playing and, and just, and recording stuff by myself and people saying, you know, that's good. That's good. You should go do something with it. But it just took, it just took like, a while for me to really think that it was like worth something. And then I had to like get a band together and everything, a backing band and um, go out and book a show and everything. So that, that just takes time. If you don't have people with you that are like motivating you and helping you out. So did you have to figure all that out yourself? Like how to book a show, how to load into a show, how to sound check, or did you have someone maybe like a Zach who had maybe been gigging already mentoring you in those ways? No. I mean, I just remember being like heard that the record book book bands local they had the local band night i forget what night that was they do like sunday night yeah they do like the five dollar tickets you know it was like sometimes it was like six bands or something you know and you like 76 bands yeah you can all play you you paid if they give you a stack of tickets and you better go out and put and and sell them all because then that dude would be all pissed when you got back and like he only handed them like money for ten. (laughs) yeah (laughs) which sometimes towards the end i would at that place but um no i mean i i learned to cut a cold email and then um uh first time getting there I was just like where do i load in like what do i do i didn't know like i didn't know what monitors were like the, like like i don't know how i didn't know this but i really just went in like very blind and i just remember being like oh there's like a speaker in front of you that like just blares the music back at you like that's was it like this blissful ignorance though where you just you didn't know and you just was like whatever you were just pumped anyway or did you feel like you were jumping off the deep end i i was just pumped man like a lot of my um i've had a lot of like happy accidents i think in my music career and for me i don't necessarily like think about the next step i'm kind of I mean, at least in the beginning, I was kind of like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go. And I was just like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to play. Like, and, and so, yeah, I didn't really like think about that stuff. And there wasn't like as much like content online and like stuff that you could look at. And like, um, you know, I think we, uh, you could go and like, you'd have to find someone to, like tell you how to do it. But for, we were super, super green. But that was all of us. And I, that was the point I was going to make that you just made of like, there wasn't YouTube video a tutorial, you know, how to play I would go a to gig. Barnes and Noble and there'd just be this like one book about like how to make it in the music business. That's and the here's book. I still how to have it. Book book a tour and get how a radio to be your own promotion. booking agent. Those are the after once I started getting serious, like those are the two books that you bought. And none of them are really that effective. They're all like you know, they give you like people to contact and then you mail your stuff and then they throw it in the garbage. I mean, that's just not how you get a record deal anymore. Was that like where you went to the back of the book and it gave you like a the whole outdated contact. Yeah, the here's, here's David Geffen's number. Right, yeah. Right. And you go to the intern who like opens it up, throws it in the garbage because I'll tell you I'll tell you a story. I was I was down in um I we have a publishing I have a publishing deal with Round Hill Music, which is um based in New York, but they also have a uh, um, a house on Music Row in Nashville. For those listening that don't know, what is a publishing deal? Publishing deal is where um, you know you split you split the the your song in half the the masters and the publishing and the master is the actual recording and the publishing is the notes and the music like the idea behind it and um, a publishing company 
uh, A, um, get your music on commercials and TV shows, and B, tries to um, get your, sell your songs to other people, or get you to write songs for another artist, which I'm not really doing because I'm doing the band thing, but that's like an option. Like there are people in my publishing company that um, nine to five, they, they wake up in Nashville, they get into a room and they're like, we're going to write a Blake Shelton song. Like we're writing Blake Shelton's next hit. And um, so they do that kind of stuff. And um, that's, that's like their only gig. So on for me, what they're doing right now is getting us songs and uh, commercials and, and TV shows. We've been in that like that show, Shameless. Um, we've been in a bunch of commercials, um, a bunch of random like stuff. Just they just go out and sell your music, but they also own the rights. They own catalogs, so they have like a bunch of Beatles songs that they own. Um, so we were um, down in Nashville at the their um their music house on music row which is where all the publishers are like nashville is very much a songwriting community where people go where chris stapleton got started and wrote 200 plus like hits and um i was standing at the front desk there like going in i'd had my publishing deal i was just there talking to people and some guy just walks in and he's all happy he's like you know he's like like bright eyed and bushy tailed like ready to get a publishing deal and he's like hey like walks in the front desk like hey do you guys take submissions and the person on the desk was just like no and then he just walked out like really defeated and i was like oh that sucks i forgot about that but it's a it's a um a legal thing they just don't accept nobody accepts anything because then if that label comes out with some song that sounds like that that person's going to be like I sent you that and you like listen to it, you know? Mm. So everything you send just basically goes into the garbage. That's interesting. I never <laughs> thought of it from that angle. Yeah. It's a total legal thing. And also that I just don't think how much good stuff is maybe going to come here. You just, the amount you have to wade through. It's like American Idol or something. <laughs> I think of that movie coyote ugly. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was like, I mean, this was, this was pretty internet. So You've got this green musician from the small town who moves to New York City and then decides, okay, I've got this, I've got great material. I'm just gonna cold send it around to people. And first, I think the first round, like everything actually just gets sent back to her. And that's gotta be so defeating to then try to pick yourself up from your bootstraps and go back out there and do it. But I, I'm sure that was there was probably a, a weird transitional period where that was still happening. Yeah. I mean, eventually. You when when I moved to New York to start the band, when was that? Uh, 2012. Okay, to create context, you were doing Mike McFadden as a solo artist, yeah, performing locally in Baltimore. Um, and Justin played a few shows on bass with you, yeah. And I remember WTMD, the local Baltimore radio station, they were supporting you, right? Yeah, they they um, I had a song called Heart on Heart, which I later released, um, on the first Animal Years album, but they they spun that track, like put in regular rotation and um, spun that track. But it, and it was like the most played, I think like that year, but it was just one station. So it didn't like, but did it kind of give you some validation of, okay, maybe there is something to my music and it resonating with the public. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember working at Hopkins and like driving in one of the work vans and like hearing my song on the radio and then like talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, this is a legit station with the, with the huge signal and, if they're playing this that much and like, I know it's good, you know, it still wasn't like 
bringing people out to shows necessarily. I think you needed a little more than that. But um, yeah, absolutely, a big validation. Because I was trying to get on them like more than just like one spin for a song for years. And finally, getting some in rotation is like a really good feeling. So you said 2012, you moved to New York. Yeah. And um, what was, did you have a plan? No, I, I well, I, uh, I, w- I played music down in um, North Carolina with my, at Elon College with my buddy Mac. And um, he like was in a fraternity and he had like, he wanted like a band to play at like fraternity parties and they, they were going to get the whole band together, but they needed the front man, you know, like the guy you could sing. And so I would go down there and play. And um, there was this guy in the band, Anthony, um, who started playing bass, like just for this band, he like wanted to be in the band. So he like started playing bass. The guy is amazing when you see like what he's done now and we can like talk about all that. But, um, pause your thought there. Yeah. This keeps buffering. So I'm going to just save what we have here and just start it over. Okay. But like, I'm going to keep. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so what were you saying? So, so yeah. So Anthony, um, who does a lot for this band, including um, directing, directed and wrote um, the concept for our new music video for Friends. Um, he was down there, and we started. We were playing music there, and then um, they graduated. They went off to New York. I was still in Baltimore doing the thing. Justin was playing in the band, and um, I was. Cause he was like, "Dude, let me, you know, come up to New York and um, try this thing that you're doing up up here. Like, maybe we'll rebrand it." Cause like Mike McFadden, just like that, just doesn't work, you know. It's better to have a band name, a moniker, even if even if it's just one person. Were you like, insulted by that? That Mike McFadden doesn't work? No, because I had thought about like all the people, like Dashboard Confessional, and like I don't know, name like a million bands. Like that for some That's reason, it. I can only there's think only, of Chris Carabo. There's right? only Dashboard <laughs> Confessional I was on a mad tear. Of, like, but that. then you could say like Bob Dylan. Right, but I didn't. I didn't think I was the voice of my generation, to be honest. <laughs> Not yet, Michael. <laughs> and I can still do that with the moniker, but just like I don't know, moving to New York and like people are more attracted, I think, sometimes to a band than like a person's name. And when they think, when you sometimes. When not branded right, when you see a person's name, you just think like, "Oh, that's an acoustic guitar player," and it could be this whole this whole other thing that's going on. Um, I think of it a lot in the the industry that I I think, um, or I mean, you kind of spoke on this before, but I think what was maybe one of the catalysts that jumped you into really pursuing the music full time, um, the licensing gig stuff, where you'll have a lot of people who write music as a solo artist, but to get it maybe. the publishing, you know, get it used, a track used on like a movie or TV, some kind of spot, they they push a band instead because that's like more desirable. You know, we yeah. can think of, and we were trying to think of the other day, what's the Pumped Up Kicks band? Foster the People. Yeah, Foster the People like that or One Republic. Yeah, Ryan Tedder. Ryan Tedder. It's, it's all these like solo artists who then they put together this idea like, oh, we're in a band. Yeah. And that does somehow better. But I mean, to Jordan's point, you might not be Bob Dylan, but... It could have worked, yeah. you know, and, and subsequently these other guys, it could have maybe worked as solo artists, but I think the band thing was maybe cooler. Yeah. Play with Bob Dylan at a music festival this summer. A, Firefly. A fire coming? Yeah, Firefly. Not on the same stage, not on the same day, not the but same time. Ch- but he checked you out? But we were on the same bill. Well, that's I don't, I don't know if he, he checked pr- me out. He, he probably he in could, the back. He could have been in there. I couldn't see through all the, the people. but um. So this happened this past year already? Yeah, yeah last year. Okay, well, to tie it together, I guess you're... Uh, Whatever the 
area provided to you as an artist was designed and catered by uh, episode, I don't know, 20, 30 something Anna and Drew Cohen. I saw them right? there. Is that right? I saw um, Hannah, uh, Hannah. Yeah. I um, I went to, I'm, how did I know her? I was, it was either Summerstock or something else. And I saw her there in the little artist area, which is so cool. And um, I was like, hey, I know you. And we started chatting and she was like, yeah, I'm doing this whole thing. By the way, it was like super impressive. And like everything was like top notch, which is awesome. And this artist area is all like people are hanging out like um, Davey. Um, what's his name from AFI? <laughs> Havoc. Havoc. Davey Havoc. You know where I was going with that yes, one. Yes, I do. Who? Davey Suicide. Davey yeah. Suicide. Is that, his other, is that what they also call him? No, no, no. That's like... Um, he was a local dude. Havoc in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Goldmine Squad. Squad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the scene. I wish MySpace still existed in like an archive and we could just go back and look at all that. Davey Suicide. Lovely man. Davey Suicide is a great guy. He actually, unfortunately, he did... He dated like a MySpace... He was kind of like a MySpace... Mm-hmm. Right. His, his name is Davy Suicide. I mean, yeah. yeah. But he, he dated someone who then like, who was like, I remember being the most famous out of all the females on there who like passed away. Who? It's so sad. Forbidden? I don't know. Forbidden. I wasn't that deep. Like, right. So I guess instead Forbidden. of- Forbidden. Wow. Anyway, you, you, well, it's sad. This, I don't want to- It's really yeah, sad. It is sad, but- So you went from Mike McFadden to Animal Years, but you could have become like, like Mikey Danger. God. I mean, I was not- I didn't have the balls to do that. <laughs> it's I was not, not too late. You have a nickname growing you up. Saw oh, me wait, Big Cat. You could have gone from, dude, you know. When you saw me in my like khaki shorts and my polo, you knew I wasn't thinking Mikey Danger. And but I wasn't really thinking anything Wasn't else. your nickname Big Cat? Yeah. You could have gone as Mikey Big Cat. Yeah. That would have been I tight. I don't know, man. I was a cl- I'm a classic kind of guy, I guess. Like, so what is Animal Years then? Well, so, well, just to like, to finish on like that whole, like how I... I was waiting for a, a time to like kind of attack New York and knew I was going to like leave hot. I was at Hopkins and pretty comfortable and like worked in management and um, got a call from my friend, John Briggle, who we were just talking about. And he had pushed some of my songs on some commercials and I ended up selling a song to a Pennzoil commercial um, for a decent amount of money for a like 25 year old um, who's like playing music and had previously not made any money really on music and um, it was enough to just like quit and like move up to New York, um, and we just like got started right away. And the first thing was like rebranding, and I was like, we were thinking of band names, and I was like, uh, I love that album, The Animal Years by Josh Ritter, and I was just to drop the the, and I was like, it's do Animal Years, and then at the same time we kind of like came up with the concept. We didn't just want it to be. Um, a band name that we like named after something else and we were thinking about how like how we attack or how I attacked music by like just going right out of high school and like doing it not worrying about anything else and if you were like a dog and you only had like 15 years to live like or something like wouldn't you like do things differently like people the life expectancy now is like 85 you know for men and like more for women I don't know people plan for their entire life and like they're going to retire when they're 50. And so they work their asses off and they're like, I'm going to enjoy myself later. And it's like, you just can't do that in music. So we were like, live your life in animal years. And we just like, we get started right away and nothing like financial. It's fine. If you go into debt, 
and you go broke and like you don't like really like necessarily worry i mean you're gonna stress about that stuff but that kind of stuff your your 401k and stuff like we're not we're not thinking about that kind of stuff it's just like band 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 i'm not gonna advocate for going into debt but i will say that having uh perspectives like that is very useful and it often helps kind of push through any fear or resistance of doing what feels scary, but often it feels scary because it's something you really desire. Yeah. And um, listen, if you're smart about it, you don't have to go into debt, but there was no way I wasn't going into debt, moving into New York uh, and starting a band. But yeah, it's, it's, it's super, it's super scary. Like doing, especially going from somewhere in Baltimore where you just feel kind of warm and cozy. Cause there's like, there's the five venues and there's like not a ton of like, I mean, there are like a lot of really good bands, but they're, all here and you know all of them in new york it's like just one venue like rockwood music hall in the lower east side has three stages and there's like six bands on each of them playing every night and everyone that's playing there is top notch so it's 2012 you and some guys move what part of new york uh bushwick okay so you you moved to bushwick and and clearly you know the music industry is very different than it was even in 2012 Brooklyn's very different than it was in 2012. Mm. But when you guys found a place and settled in, whatever that meant, what was step one? Um, step one was like, I mean, the the I had the our first album basically recorded already. Um, so it was like branding, um, photos, trying to trying to get a look together. You know, something something that just turns when I look at a band. I'm sorry, but it's got to look like you guys at least talked about it like beforehand, like what you're all going to wear. I was I know always that, about that. I'm very much about that. Cause I you went, were about I that whole, and I wasn't. And then yeah, like, it oh, took I, me. I, I think I was when, when we did play together. Cause to me, it's like, I want the whole package when I watch a band. Yeah. And, and I think, I think people started to realize, especially like the 2012 year. I mean, that was like, people didn't have a ton of disposable funds to spend on entertainment. Yeah. So if you're going to go out and spend your money on something like dude, like fucking give me something. Yeah. And I want it to hit me everywhere. And to me like I want the band to look like they're cohesive, like they hang out and they like each other. Yeah. So like they vibe off one another like, "Oh, you're wearing a black shirt, me too, man." Cuz like I get you. Yeah, not like one guy like wore flip-flops, you know, and like one guy wore a baseball jersey. I always say like the one guy's wearing a suit. Oh yeah. And the other guys are like off whatever, work. right? Yeah. <laughs> But or like, they just thought they were supposed to wear a you, suit on stage. You want to, yeah, like they're like the big bad voodoo daddies or whatever. That, <laughs> yeah, whatever suit that. suits, yeah. But like, I want I want you to look like you belong there. And there is a lot in like presentation of a band. A band that just looks like they're supposed to be there is going to be more effective, even if they're not the greatest band you've ever seen. If they look and perform like they're supposed to be there, they're going to have way more of an effect on you. You're gonna be like, wow, that's a professional band. Like those, I bet you those guys do that full time, or you know. There's a confidence that comes with that, I think, too. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at like a band like the Kings of Leon now, like they're so like styled and everything to the point where it's like kind of a little weird. But um, that's such like an outlier because then it's like you look and it's like, oh, you know, they're styled by GQ or something. It's like you know the singer's right. wearing a Gucci suit and like and they're talking about yeah. it now, like. To me, because I remember when, when Jordan and I played in a band, our singer was completely obsessed with the early days of Kings of Leon, like where where the lyrics were really inaudible and 
It's kind of, it was a lot more gritty. It's about like, you know, she's not, she's only 17. It was, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> it's a little weird, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but I remember he had such an affinity towards that. Um, for me, I was like, oh, this is just like a, yeah. like a just dirty guys playing some dirty music. Yeah. Like, that's okay, too. By the way, if we're talking about sartorial choices, Justin should post a uh, picture of his shoes that he's wearing just so you guys can get a feel for him because they're they're pretty stylish. Thank you. Pretty amazing. I'll post so, a picture. Cool. So uh, you're in Bushwick. You got you have a picture. <laughs> you have yeah. some music. Like do you? So so do you target like this is a venue that works or? But even a venue like there's probably all kinds of different communities that inhabit that venue. So yeah. for me, my thought would be let's find. Uh, some sort of music community that resonates with what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, you well, first you just you go to the places that are gonna book bands based on like you telling them you could bring people out. You have a you have a community because you've never we have no booking history at all in New York. So it was like the Lower East Side on like Ludlow Street, I think it is. There's like ten venues right there, and it's like pianos and and, and like the Red Lion and um, Arlene's Grocery, Arlene's, Arlene's Grocery. Grocery the Arlene's Grocery, by the way, is like one of the best sounding venues, like Dude, small venues. Justin and I, we played there to like a manager and his girlfriend. It's awesome. But again, to reference what I referenced earlier, for me, I was like, oh shit, this is that same venue, Coyote Ugly, where the where the oh yeah the woman gets up on stage and like pukes and can't perform. Open mic night, and we got to play. I mean, it was that classic Ooh, the, the, Monday open mic night. The bitter, the bitter end in the Lower East Side, you can see all the people that have played on there, like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and like all these, like everyone that like would come through there. And now it's like anyone can kind of play there if you just like, like get convinced them that you can get enough people out there. So yeah, you book, book one of those places. At that point, you're not really looking for your community. You're just getting in front of people. Um, and eventually, like through time, build a little bit of a fan base, and then you move out of those venues into the more legit ones, like pianos and Rockwood Music Hall, um, and then like some places in, in in Brooklyn. We did Mercury Lounge. Yeah, shared a a green room with Cindy Lauper. That's cool. So you opened for Cindy Lauper? No, no. We, the we played with we, the matches, but uh, there was they were doing two shows. Two shows. There was an early Dude. show that was sold out. And they let people stay, so we were like, "Well, this is this couldn't have been more ideal yeah. to already have like a built-in fan base here of just there's just people. So now we have a built-in audience rather that we can just showcase our music to and see what they think." And I remember we were like flabbergasted that they clapped. We just had all these preconceived <laughs> notions of a New York crowd that we, we were just we, we well, were like they've so seen wrong. it all and they're not impressed by any of it because that's all that they're around. Yeah, but half of them probably just like moved to New York. But also the thing about Bitter End, we sold out, or not Bitter End, Mercury Lounge. We sold that out last year and it was the late show. And like they have to kick everyone in that venue out immediately after the first show. Everyone has to close to their tabs before the they even let people in. So like everyone's waiting outside. It's like a nightmare. So we moved on. I mean, we might go back, but we moved on to like um, Bowery Ballroom after that. Played the bigger venue. Okay, because we saw you're playing Music Hall of Williamsburg in April. Yeah, so now we're going to uh, Music Hall of Williamsburg, which we, we played before, um, which is just a pretty big um, music hall in Williamsburg. It's exactly what it's... That's exactly an amazing it's, place. It's very descriptive. It's, have you been there? It's, I've been there. I went, sweet. I saw... Um, I woke up one morning and I saw... Th- 
the Arctic Monkeys, who are one of my favorite bands, wow. were playing, and I didn't really think. I just bought two tickets, and then I ran like a like a Craigslist thing of just like if anybody needs a ticket, I've got this ticket, and so I found someone to go with me, and I just took the bus and went. And it's a beautiful venue. Yeah, it's it's super cool with the little like thing, um, the, the balconies and. Yeah, and they have like a classic like movie theater like marquee kind of thing mm-hmm. on the outside, so it's super cool. So how often? Because you said you know you start building some sort of a fan base or following. Uh, how often were you playing? Every couple of weeks, I think. When you're starting out, you just go to hop around at all the different venues. There are like there are venues with built-in crowds, like Rockwood Music Hall and pianos. They have like these free music nights where like on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, like they're just going to have bands like cycle in and they're not really worried about you bringing people. People are just going to be there to watch free music, which is awesome. And like, that is not the case in most cities. So that's how we got in front of a lot of people. And then they like pass around the tip bucket and, um, you get whatever they tipped. Um, and that was kind of like how we got exposed to like more of those people. But yeah, so you could get, you could get in there like maybe every couple of weeks, especially if you wanted to play like really late, um, and at this point, you had a record. You said you said that record yeah, was already had, written. We had uh, the record "Sun Will Rise," our first record. I think it, we had like put it out on our own, and then um, played. I think the Bowery Electric, which we played before, and um, that's what I, I felt like. That was before you moved there. We went up there, and you played with the cover band. Right, you're talking about this with is, Anthony. This, this is way after. This is like a year or two after. I can't well, even remember. So that place was packed. Yeah. Why was that place so that, packed? That place was for like two dudes that went to a, a school somewhere else, right? Because and, and then they moved up to New York, and then you went up there to play. We did the Mike McFadden solo material, but then you did the cover stuff with that band. Why was that venue sold out for those guys? <laughs> like what? Because my everyone in the band but me has a lot of friends, and um, my bass player is a huge um, friend network and from from school and everything so when we first moved up there like that playing those venues and then if we wanted to do like a more like headlining kind of thing like just like calling and texting like every one of your friends tell them to come out tell them it's gonna be a party everyone's gonna be there and so you play to the most talkative crowds ever which is annoying but it's like well they're not just there to listen to music they're there to socialize and then the next day when their friends are saying what'd you do last night they'll say i went to see animal years or whoever yeah and it's still like a fun night and they're still rocking out and you know you they weren't really familiar with the music then so you throw in a you throw in a tom petty cover so that all the bros could could jump yeah and be like oh my god i know this i can relate to this one song i've never done covers like justin and i we had never done covers in our bands until this band that i'm in now reindeer and it's it's weird. Wait, I, I was. You're in that band. I've been in the band for a year and a half. Oh, I didn't know that. I keep. I hear them on WTMD. Yeah, man. You guys are good. Thanks. Yeah, it's <laughs> I didn't fun. know that was you. Yeah, I've been That's doing that awesome. for a bit now. Um, wow. And so I still don't love doing the covers, but it can be effective because it definitely captures attention. I was really, really against it, and I mean, I remember playing doing one cover in one band when I was much younger and, and it was fun. That was about it, but I was very, very against it. But then when I played with Mike, we did three covers. I think we, we did Billie Jean. We did American girl maybe. And we did, 
Come on, come Gra- on. Um, oh, uh, Phantom Planet. Let's do the, do the panic. Do the panic, which yeah. was fantastic because it's a great it was an amazing baseline uh, from oh, a yeah. band that wasn't really on my radar. Yeah. But that yeah. bass player now plays with Maroon, Maroon 5. 5, Sam yeah. Farrar. Yeah, Sam Farrar. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, but that was, that was, um, it was actually thoroughly enjoyable, but I didn't have as much investment in the project because it wasn't really, I didn't feel like it was a reflection on me. I didn't feel like I was playing covers. I right. was just doing what you wanted to do. And I was cool with it because the material was great. Right. And I think we just like split everything. I was like, how much should we make? All right. You $8, take this. $2 yeah. for you, $2 for you. Dude, yeah. So Mike, I'm curious. So you've, you've been in New York for a bit at this time. You're starting to get settled. You're gigging. Uh, people are coming to some of these shows what did you have any balance uh, or focus on your life outside of the band and your mission as um, now a resident of New York City? When I first started, um, no, it was pretty reckless. I mean, like reckless, just like there wasn't really like a regard for anything else. I, I don't think there was, I don't think I like was necessarily like interested in like dating or anything. I just remember being like band, band, band. Did you have work. your own like routine, like where you'd go do things by yourself, or have like friends outside of the music thing? I lived with I lived with all my best friends. We like moved up together, so that was great. And then I like made a little studio in because we had these lofts in Bushwick that are huge, and um, we didn't have a practice space really at first. So I like I I plugged everything into my like Digi Design like like rack that I had and I got all the headphone preamps and like we did like silent and the, the Roland drum kit and we did practice that way. Um, so it was really just like, yeah, the, the friends were there at the place and then the band would come over and we play music and we drink and like do whatever and then go out and play gigs or, or rehearse more. And that was it. I don't did you have that. a, like a, a van like hot, or we was it my, all just house gear you'd rely on for drums and well, things like York, that? Well, in New York, there's always a house kit everywhere. You're, you're never going to, unless you're like playing Terminal 5, you're never going to like bring your full kit in, you know? But we, to we be honest, it. I did for all those New York shows. Really? You did, but there was always gear there. There was always a house bass rig. There was usually a guitar, like a half There's stack, always tubs. An there's always cabinet. like shells. And, always um, something there. And usually a bass rig and usually like like Rockwood Music Hall, for example, like you cannot bring your like kit in. You're gonna use their kit, you're gonna and you're gonna use your cymbals and snare, um, you're gonna use their bass rig, and then they have like a Fender Hot Rod Deluxe amp that you should probably use because switchover is like so quick. Right. And there's no room backstage for any of your shit. Like there are venues in New York where you pull up outside of that place and someone comes out and goes, the, the band's done. And then you unload the truck and run your right. shit in. And like, that's, that's it. So it's, so it's a little more difficult. When, when did you feel like, uh, you like took that? The, ba- I'm sorry. Yeah. That base cab that you sold me, I can't get rid of that thing now. Which Why did I ever buy that from you? The Ampeg eight by ten. You, oh, you convinced Lord. me oh. that I needed that. No, 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 no. You told me you were you were recording <laughs> bass. <laughs> you couldn't sell that thing. You couldn't give that thing away in New York City. I don't think you, like I, I have friends who are currently deciding to like move somewhere else, and they have like a like yeah. a big old school rig, like you know the big powerful Ampeg rigs, and they can't sell them anymore because I think most people are wising up to like. I can't transport this and I need eight guys to help me lug it. And like, we don't have van and trailers these days. We have like a hatchback car. I can't get this to the venue. Yeah, you gave me your slick little no, 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 pitch. No, no, no. 
you hit me up and you said, I'm recording bass and we need to like dub right. it through something. Do you have a cabinet? I was like, I'm selling. And I, I probably had 20 of those. You did. You had a lot. You know, at, at, at not always at the same time, but there was a point where I would have like three of those at the same time because I was out of my mind. Yeah. But you were like, I need it when I was like, well, this is a good one. And you then used it. You put it to use. No, I use it a lot. I just, exactly. It's just, right. It's yeah, hilarious because it's here. hilarious because recently I had to bring it back from New York back to Baltimore because there's no way like, to put what it. What a headache. And I like, it's just, it was a nightmare. It's massive. So anyway, and huge. Yeah. So if anyone so, and, wants one. And obviously that's something. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants an eight by 10. Yeah. Mike is selling one. But yeah, of course that makes sense. And there are, there are even venues here that are wonderful enough. Like the, like the auto bar, which we've spoken about, which is two blocks over from where Jordan resides, they have a house eight by 10 because no yeah. one needs to lug one in there. And there's another venue not too far from here. Um, yeah. The eight by 10. The eight by 10. <laughs> Speaking of eight by 10, yeah. right, the funk box, eight by 10. And they, they have a house bass rig and I think they have a house drummer. And to me, that's like, like, thank you for all those years that we would spend, especially, could you imagine if you resided in New York and your mode of transportation was like, oh, taking an I'm, eight I'm by ten on the subway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you see, well, you, 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 that? Be, you have the most sympathy for the for the upright bass players that are lugging the three course. the three quarter, um, you know, yeah, uprights. bass through the subway because there is no way around that. No, and like that's the hardest thing you can do. But you see these guys in in, in New York, um, like for example, one of the guys that played. We have a lot of different guys that rotate on guitar for us. And um, one of my guys has a two guitar like um, gig bag that like fits two guitars and all your pedals. It all straps into this one big thing, and then like wheel around like a little blues junior like combo. And that's that's what he. So you can subway to all these. Um, that's places. how you got to bring it on the subway because you're not going to be like paying for Ubers or cabs or whatever. You're going to be going on the subway. When um when we came to that that first Bowery show with you, yeah, um, the drummer and I, we we caught a bus and we came up and we walked through the city and I, it was fortunate. Like that was a very new thing. And then that someone came up with those backpacks that I had, I think it was a mono gig bag. Yeah, it was like, yeah, right. Like reunion monos, blues yeah. and mono came out. It was like, you could throw those off buildings and they would be protected. And so I had, you know, an expensive base and all of my stuff, but I could just backpack it. Yeah, you got to backpack it. That's everything. like, I don't think there is another option. No, we tore with a hundred watt base cab the br like ampeg thing the b100 the b100 yeah i know what you guys are using that's that's it that's all we need i mean that's all you need yeah so in new york when did you feel like you guys took the next step up that it was kind of working um we got noticed i mean we started building like a fan base our album you know people started listening and streaming and buying it a little bit and then um we signed a distribution deal with the orchard um, which is just like a massive worldwide um, like distribution company that really for us um, is like a, to most people use TuneCore, which is, you know, they take 30, 30% or whatever, or you pay them and then iTunes takes money. I can't remember how it works at this point, but the Orchard is just like a, a company that I actually like personally do it for you. And they distribute huge albums, but they also do other bands that are up and coming and, They'll do more for you, like get placement on front page placement on like iTunes and stuff when your album comes out. So that was the first thing. And then um, after that, like more and more people noticing and um, sold out our first venue, like Rockwood Music Hall, that kind of thing. And then that's when like um, the management comes in, someone says they want to manage you. And then they're bringing out um, the, the, the labels and the publishing 
people to come see you. And all of a sudden, you're like playing a sold out show. Within like two years of being there, we were playing our first sold out show, and there were like labels and other um, industry and stuff in the audience, like watching us. Was that sorry, Justin? <laughs> but I'm curious: is having managers approach you and labels? Obviously, I'm sure you wanted that. Is that something that was exciting to you necessarily, or does that kind of feel either intimidating or like a nuisance, or to have to kind of juggle all of those things? It's exciting. I think the first thing you want to do is like get the manager, because then the manager handles all that from then on. So um, we were getting like some offers from like some major labels um, before the manager, and there's really no way to like handle that. First of all. It's not a good look on your part to like be talking directly with the A and R guy from like Atlantic Records, and um, you just want that go between. So I think like that stuff was kind of happening simultaneously. So we like quickly signed with like a manager that could start negotiating and meeting those people. You know, like taking those people out to drinks, like talking to them at the show and we're on stage and telling them all that stuff. So it, it's not a, it's certainly not a nuisance. Definitely very exciting, and then eventually. You get to a point where you're like, okay, like they might not even show up. Like, you know, this person and this person, and this person from the label are going to come out and like one of them comes out and the other one says they're going to come out and doesn't. And then you just, you stop getting excited about it until someone sends you an email and is like, let's meet at our office. You know, was all of this on your radar when you moved to New York? No, but I'm sure it was super exciting. You're playing shows, you're living with your best friends, but did you have any kind of plan? Did you know that? Hey, if I get distribution, then that will kind of get me from like level one to two. If I get a manager, then that'll take a lot of the responsibility away from me. And I can just focus on being the guy who makes the best music possible. All that stuff. I wanted to build a team and have people take care of all that stuff because I'd always taken care of it myself. But I had no direction. And like until I got management, management kind of like will sit you down, like sat us down and like made that plan. Like, here's what's going to happen. But I had no plan and didn't know if anything was gonna happen. I knew this stuff was good, but I didn't know like how breaking into New York was gonna be. And I just kind of took it like day by day. And then like one, you know, one day it was like, oh, this person wants to come see you. And then like, oh, this show is sold out. And then, um, but there was no, I didn't have a plan. I really, didn't, I was just like, let's go play as many. I think a lot of people kind of do this that aren't like super organized, and a lot of musicians aren't organized and can't really compartmentalize stuff like myself. And um, it was just like, let's go and do as many shows as we can, and play and write good music, and and do good shows, and meet a ton of fucking people, and see if that works. Did that feel really necessary? Since you guys, it wasn't like you were playing in bands together for years then you decided to move to new york to get a change of scenery and all these new people to play for this yeah. was it was, was still pretty new for all of you guys to be playing together yeah consistently yeah so we were doing it all at the same time i feel like a lot of bands do that where you start to play with with some new people you get a set together let's book all the shows we can book because we need to figure out what what before, you know, in case we do get a big gig at some point or something really happens, like we need to be able to play together. Yeah. So that that doesn't feel like that's the the worst way to go about it. Of just like let's just play a bunch of gigs. But at some point, then you probably say to yourself, okay, every day I'm waking up, it's like Groundhog's Day. I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm making music. I'm trying to book shows. How am I going to take it from to the next level? Yeah. I mean, you can make a plan, 
but like mm, almost guaranteed like that plan is going to change you know and something's going to happen it's going to put you in like a little bit of a different direction like we didn't get management first we got a distribution deal first and um so you can you can try to like structure it and like go after certain things um and like cold call people and try to get people out to a show but i don't know man i feel like the best thing you can do is just gain fans and you can do that all without anybody social media presence like one of the first things we did was like get these little business cards that had our picture on them and on the back with all the links and whenever we were at a bar and talking to someone we would um these would just be random people at the bar it's like a conversation and be like oh you're in a band it's like yeah here's our card like we're playing um tomorrow at this place and like what um come come there and we'll buy you a drink or like we'll buy you a drink here and come to the show you know or like we'll sing you a song like right now to see if see if we're any good and then you can come you know and that's the key thing for you i mean you didn't just stay hold up in your loft making music you actually went out into the world and connected with human beings that's a big I th- I always thought that I was going to release my first album after high school. I was like, I'm going to release this online and like it's going to it's going to blow up and then I'll be able to go on tour and I'll figure out like the show and everything. <laughs> I swear like I thought I was like, I don't know. I just thought I wasn't going to going to have to go out and do a lot. And then this I This thing is not that far fetched. Why now? Right? Some somewhat you can build like a huge MySpace presence, but there are also like musicians. There are people that have like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram that couldn't like sell out like a small club. You know, it depends on how you. Like there are there are bands that are huge that have no social media, like barely any social media presence, and they sell out like huge clubs. Like Radiohead doesn't like react with their interact with their fans or anything. And then there are people that like have more followers than them on Instagram and they're not like bringing a lot of people out to shows. So I think like personal connections are really, I figured that out from moving to New York and like meeting people and like getting people to come out, physically come out to shows and spend money is way better than someone that's going to like comment on your Instagram every day. Um, The bands that came before the social media and built their buzz and were, were big main staple bands, I think they have a different a different look, I'm sure, on like where, yeah. where to put the emphasis. They've already had this, I mean, like a, a band like Radiohead, we, we know is on just a whole different level than Right, that was a bad most. example. But, but they had radio. <laughs> they didn't need social media. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They had a whole different yeah, beast behind them to help them. And that was their social media. Did you, you know? go to, uh, side question, did you go to college? No. Okay. Um, but it, it's, you, it seemed like you landed a very steady, comfortable job. You said some sort of management role at, Hopkins University. Yeah. So did you kind of feel like you could always take care of yourself if this thing didn't work out? I never I never once used that phrase, if this thing doesn't work out. Because for me, if you have a backup plan, it means that you are someone anticipating and not working. And I think the only way that, it may not be for everyone, but the only way that you can really get there is by like, really 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 believing that you can do it otherwise you're like kind of putting in 99% and you're kind of like well I can always do this and like if this doesn't work out I won't be that disappointed because I I I I planned for this other thing and um there are so many people in New York that are giving 100% that if you're going to give 99% and like kind of have this backup plan like you will they, they'll just they'll surpass you like so quickly 
So for me, it was never a backup plan. Like I liked that job, and um, I figured out how to make money while I was building the band. While I was there, I was doing delivery jobs and um, manual like labor stuff, and like deliver like just whatever the hell I could I could do. Um, and and then just and then just going out and playing gigs for free or whatever it was that you start out doing. So. No, I never. Some some people will do that, and it's fine. But I never did. I never did that. So a couple months ago, uh, you were on CBS this morning. Yeah, CBS Saturday morning. How the fuck did that happen? Uh, we signed we signed a record deal like late last year, or like August of last year. E One Records, um, Entertainment One. It's like a Canadian base label, and um we got really good PR um, after that uh, really good publicist um, big hassle and and they they just you know with the the album was doing really well and um, we started getting um, great press I mean for first it was um, uh, Billboard magazine like premiered our music video then then December um, Rolling Stone named us like top 10 uh, country artists to watch in December. And I think with all those, these things that were kind of happening, um, and the, the friends video doing really well, um, they went to, um, CBS and I think they went to a bunch of different people and were like, you know, this band's great live. And, um, if you have an, an opening, you know, make it happen. And I think, I think, you know, we don't have the largest, some of the bands that play on there are huge, you know, and, um, we don't have the biggest social media following out of all of them. But I think just everything kind of aligned with the date being close to the holidays, and I'm not gonna lie, like you know, there's there may have been uh, some other bands that were fighting for that spot, but but you um, guys are, are palatable for that audience. Sure, yeah, you should have seen like the amount of uh, like middle aged uh, like Midwest people that followed us. You can see like the people that actually watch that show because I don't I don't get up that early. I think it's from like seven to nine. And it's taped in advance, so we never met the host or anything. We we actually recorded it two days before. Wait, so when you watch the video, like if you go on YouTube and you watch it, it's like okay. And the guy's now, like, "Here's Animal Years, right?" And here's with but friends. you never you never met never met. You were just wow. in the studio. They That's were, But then who clapped? Because people clapped. The people at, in the studio, like the producers the, or whoever's doing uh, it. Yeah, the people that are actually there, like cameramen, the cameraman, the sound engineer, That's incredible. the producers. They all they all clap. So you know. They're they're not they're not trying to fool you that there's an audience or anything, but and but it's like but there's like an even, overdub that's like you know oh that was you know that was animal years no they don't <laughs> they don't they don't do it afterwards they just introduce it and then they switch to another thing they're not really like trying to fool you but they're it's kind of like just by omission like lying by omission or whatever but it like, feels natural like there's some people does. in the studio and like those people i'm sure can appreciate what what you guys are are doing you know whether they like it or not just the fact that you guys are human beings trying to live a dream with this big opportunity you know when i'm around artists like that i respect that yeah that studio is just not built for their, like this if you, if you went and saw it it's not they can't do the same program like at the same time they have to clear out the whole space and then you perform there so right that makes sense. i don't know when if that was recorded before or after but yeah it was it was hilarious. like watching that i got to watch it for the first time like watch these people introduce me uh introduce the band and it's it's it was still like 
super great cool. cut but it was it was great it was great when the people were like um texting me on the 30th like break a leg like you know like 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 good luck and it was like i already did it two days ago but thank you you can't tell the the people no you know, you i don't think say- i've told anyone that i'm not sure if i was supposed to say anything but that's okay oh it's a cat's out the bag chocolate yeah. croissants exclusive yeah. here yeah um, so where are the croissants by the way are they supposed to be on the table? Man, Do now we, you're giving away our secrets. Yeah, I know. Oh, wait, they're right over there. Now yeah. I see them. So <laughs> I've never, not, I can't recall ever performing. Uh, you know, we've done like music videos and things like that, but I haven't had like a full performance uh, to nobody or just a camera. Oh, yeah. Did you come at it a bit differently? Did you work the camera? We pra- we actually rehearsed in a... Um, we yeah because that was a concern with our like and our management like was like preaching to us like energy because there's not gonna be anyone there they're gonna be any fans they're gonna be people that are there working because they're they're being paid to work there um you guys are gonna have to like bring that energy so like we booked like a studio in Manhattan that had like a mirror and shit and like and like we were like just told to like watch ourselves and like make sure we didn't like space out and like because like it's not that exciting part of like performing is like the crowd and you get, so you got to get like yourself like kind of amped up um, and just like ready. You know, you got to like, you do have to put on a little bit of a, of a show because the energy is not 100. It's not there. Like when an audience is like screaming at you and stuff, were you able to enjoy the whole experience? Yeah. I mean, it's like very tedious and you go and do makeup and, and then, which is just weird. I think for any guy, um, that does isn't like used to perform or being in front of a screen. You, you get you get makeup like caked on, like, and um. Did they do your hair? They didn't really do the hair. We kind of did that before we went in there. Your drummer? And, did they do your drummer's hair? Uh yeah, I think they like slicked it back and then like put it in a ponytail or whatever. They no, fixed the, it for the, him. Or no, he did a top knot. Yeah, there's yeah. like stuff on Instagram. We put photos because you know we think it's hilarious, and um, then someone comes in after each performance and they touch up your makeup and I like people like tucking in my shirt and like moving my like packing around so it's like very it's very tedious and it's not the most it's exciting because you know like what's gonna gonna be and so you want to do a really good job but it's very like tedious and you did but multiple songs you did, how many songs did you guys do three three we did yeah so did you do everything it was a one take for each or do you have to do it multiple times you do uh you do a warm-up or you do a, a recording of each one first so that they can get the sound level right we brought our own sound guy he's in like another studio like down the hall and they have to like they the cameras and everything they want to do a test so that they know exactly what to do and like when you're singing and get used to it and then you go in and do the thing so you do each song twice but but you only get one take because they only use one so it's like right it's one take of each song you can't really like go back and be like oh i fucked up like you just gonna have to deal with it you know i i recorded it and and watched it and i'm actually a fan of cbs like sunday morning and it's all kind I of love that show. yeah so uh i was familiar with what i was gonna watch and what uh, somewhere in the episode there was a whole segment on women's wrestling and 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 the and the wrestler that they right. followed or featured yeah. had wrestled recently for ring of honor the company that i work with okay and Who was it that? was um now i'm fucking blanking on the name um she she did a lot of work in Japan, and I think yeah. she grew up in Jersey. Okay. I am blanking on the she name. She did, yeah. Um, but 
it was just really awesome to see, like I said earlier in this episode, um, I'd consider you to be a friend of mine, but like, I don't know you that well. It's somewhere between a friend and acquaintance. Yeah. Um, but just you being someone that, that I've known and that has gigged with Justin, I was really proud of you. And Thanks, it was man. cool to see that with this uh, women's <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, totally. They picked your ticket that morning. Yeah, it was uh right. It, it worked. It worked for me. I think that's cool, especially if like I wasn't necessarily like on your radar for a while, which I don't think I was for a lot of people. I think I I think I vanished for a little bit for like Baltimore people and then all of a sudden like I reemerge and I'm doing I'm on national TV and we're doing all this stuff. Um But I always kept up with what you were like I knew animal years was a thing. Yeah. Uh you know, you rock your free converses. Like I knew you were like yeah. doing you were staying active. Yeah, and you were keep plug, you know, kept plugging away at it, but not in some way that felt like, uh, like man, he's got to fucking figure something out. Like it always seemed like you've had some sort of momentum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personal momentum, and then like momentum from other people, and yeah. I mean, just over the years, like I think I've just been able to keep pushing forward, even though at times it was stagnant. Because you were like, I know that there's like another good thing that's coming up. You just got to, sometimes you just got to just like keep going and wait for that thing to happen. So speaking of things coming up, you have a tour. Yeah. And you've done tours. Yep. So like, how do you take care of yourself? On the road? On the road. Um, but in general too, I mean, do you, is, is taking care of yourself, what does that mean to you, if anything? And what does that look like? Well, I think in the past I haven't. Uh, that's <laughs> Justin's <laughs> looking at me. Justin remembers how drunk I used to get uh, on. We did. Like, we played. We played one uh, show at the Wrecker Theater, as you were yeah. alluding to earlier. Spoke speaking of earlier, um, and I think we. I don't know if we had a conversation afterwards, but I think I voiced this to one of the other members and said, "Okay, we." you know, it's got to be more professional. Yeah. We can't do this. We can't we, have you go up there like that. We stopped that really quick of like the whole, like we're going to be like rock stars thing. And like, get, cause like you really, you, you see that with people and it's like, well, they're already established. And then, but I don't know. We were just having like a lot of fun. It doesn't I, seem to ever to, lead to something better. No, it doesn't. For the most part, except for these like legendary stories of like, I can't believe you're a cockroach. You're still alive. Yeah. Like that guy who like that major league baseball who pitcher who pitched like a perfect game on acid. I forget his name, but wow, Jordan. It's a, I don't know shit it's about a, it's a YouTube. It's a, it's a YouTube feel, yeah. video, and I can't remember the guy's name. But he, we have a lot of stuff that we need to post in yeah, the group later. He, he tells the story, and then it's we'll animated, and he's really funny telling the story too. And he pitches a perfect game on acid. And That's it's incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely have done touring. Is really hard on your body, and it's not always to have the best accommodations. So at times you're like sleeping on on couches and. And whatnot, um, but I I think I don't know. I mean, like mentally, um, keeping in touch with people, talking to your bandmates about like what's going on, um, giving people their distance because you're like, spending a lot of time together. Um, you guys did talk about on the audio tree, yeah. right? You guys did talk about camping together. We used to do that um, when we did like our first tour. We didn't have any money, and we weren't really getting paid at some of these gigs. So we brought a bunch of camping gear, and um, would camp in national parks. And we did we spend like eight days at South by Southwest playing a ton of showcases. But they don't pay you for any of those, at least at that point. So we camped in someone's backyard there. We actually before we started um, recording, we were talking about endorsements. One of the things that we my bass player Anthony did was 
contact Eureka Tent Company and told them about our South by Southwest thing. Shout out to Eureka. They sent us a, like a bunch of gear and stuff to camp in while we were down there. Super cool. And we That's, just posted something about it on Instagram. But um, And didn't we see that, uh, I think I saw through your socials, that you made a friend next door who made you breakfast? Oh my God. Aw- yeah, Autumn and Guy. They were amazing. And they we ended up going back uh, years later and doing it again. They like fed us and told us stories. And they were amazing. And they ended up moving from Austin. They live in Portugal now. Wow. They were super cool. Um, but yeah, like... Doing other fun stuff besides playing music is important, like going on hikes, like bring a pair of running shoes. Like if you're in a hotel, get up early and like eat the continental breakfast because you're going to save money and like go hit the gym or like hit the pool and like try. Because like it is like so talking to people, like not just playing a show, but like talking to a bunch of people afterwards, especially if you're a vocalist can like you got to sing like every night. Um, But do you feel a pressure to connect with these people that are supporting you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we are in town for like one night and they're like, they're like, you know, whatever they're doing, whether they're younger or they're older and they got a babysitter and they're like coming out. I don't think we're at that. We're not playing like theaters. We can just like walk off stage and no one expects to meet the band. You know, I think people kind of um, I I think that there are nights where I'm just like, I can't do it because I got to get up and do this tomorrow. And I just it's strictly a vocal thing. But most of us, if not all of us, will always go out and just like talk to whoever, have a drink with whoever, and you know, we'll talk to everyone until the place is empty. Really, that that's important too. If you're on tour, that's what you're doing. That's the reason you're there. You. Well, like, it's the same thing you're that. saying in New York. It's just meeting people, yeah. connecting with people. That's the whole reason you're there. I mean, go out and and I know it's tough if you're antisocial. Um, that's why there's a bar there. I mean, to be honest, like I know that's not the best thing for everyone. <laughs> But um, talking to as many people as you can and like networking yourself in like a subtle way. If it's like getting someone's number and like, you know, saying like we should grab a drink sometime like or. But you know what? I'll even say so we just don't like put it out there of, oh, just drink alcohol. I know. If, if, if you're but <laughs> but my point is that so Justin is a highly social creature. Yeah, it is. It seems very easy and natural for Justin to talk to anyone. Uh, without context being provided. I know for me, it's often easier to start a conversation if there is some context. So you're at the same show, you can talk about the band more so than you just meet someone like at a, a supermarket. Right. Um, but I've learned a lot by watching Justin's behaviors. So I feel like someone listening who is in a band or has some creative endeavor that they're trying to push. And you may realize that networking in the real world is a very proactive way to realize your dreams. Maybe find some people who are models and kind of be that wing guy or girl um, and, and just learn, you know, because we're, we're all different and we can accept ourselves as we are. And, you know, we may have this type of personality or be introverted or extroverted. And I kind of call bullshit on the idea that you can't gain skills. Yeah, I always, right. I always used to Wait, call it... Wait, did I say that? No, no, oh. no, no. no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making a point. <laughs> I'm just making you. a point in, oh, in the yeah, sense absolutely. that you're, you're, you seem to be a highly social person too, Mike. Uh, but trust me, there are people listening to this right now right. who would be terrified of the thought of going out wherever and having cards on them and striking up conversation and inviting them to a show. 
Like that right. can be terrifying for people. Um, but maybe there is someone in this person's life uh, who has someone that's a bit more social and like to go out and actually study behavior in that way. Like that may not seem to be an option, but like we choose where we place our attention. And if you want to develop any skill, like place your attention there. Yeah, I always, I always used to say when, when people would ask me about that, how do you do that? Well, to me, it always just came natural. And I always try to stay very, very, very well-rounded with a lot of subjects so that I could always oblige and say, oh, what are you into? Like, what gets you going? What makes you tick? And I was happy to just talk about that. I didn't care about, you know, I didn't want to talk about myself. I wanted to talk about what they wanted to talk about. But even just to break that barrier and start that, I always used to have this, this, uh, this like saying in my head of like, you remove you. And it's like, if you get out of your own way and you stop faulting yourself for all of these things, oh, I'm introverted, I'm shy, I'm bashful, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm apprehensive, I can't do this, I can't do this, all these other things. I'm like, just remove yourself out of the equation and you push yourself to just go and do it. And then, and then it makes sense. And, and what I loved about hearing about Mike, your story about being in New York or being on the road and doing all this stuff, it's the stuff that I think maybe you missed in Baltimore that like Jordan and I cut our teeth on of just four nights a week, five nights a week, whatever it was, you lit, we lived at shows. Yeah. All you did. It's all you did all week long was go to shows. We and to, we're just saying hi to strangers. Just like, and showing face. And I didn't, cause, cause I know that they're like, I think that's crazy too. When I was like, when you were like telling me about that stuff, like I thought I was like, I'm not ever going to do that. Like that's insane how it, and like I learned from like someone like you. And then like now it's like the social, like when I was in animal years, like it was my bass player who had like all the friends and stuff. So like, yes, that is like a way to do it. But you guys are like, you know, that's, that's on the, the far end of it. And it's great. But, but like, yeah, don't be, if you just find, if you latch on to someone that's like that, you can start to learn for me. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that was my original point that having Justin as a sort of lead guy in those social situations has been helpful for me to more comfortably connect with others. But then also I've kind of picked up some of the, the, the traits that Justin, you know, deploys and, and have done it in my own way that feels comfortable to me or put, or I'll, purposefully put myself into situations where I feel uncomfortable trusting that maybe growth is possible from that. Yeah. I mean like surround yourself with people that have different, different opinions and different outlooks on things. I mean like just, just having a team uh, like a management team now and like me doing one thing uh, let's say it's like a photograph that we took and then having six different people go, well this, 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 and this, and it's like, wow, if I like didn't even like if I didn't even like surround myself with these people, I would just only have my own. I'd be like, this looks good. And in reality, like you, you really want to just get everyone's opinion on it and get other people's um general like feelings of things like um out there, like how they feel about it. like, you know, someone just like this comes across this way, you know, I don't think you should do that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like, well, if I didn't even like include this person in the conversation, I wouldn't even have thought of that. It, like it, bringing them in their walk of life. We talk a lot about self-awareness and yeah. by just understanding other people's perceptions of you, I think can help you give a bit more accurate uh, kind of picture of at least how you're being perceived and, and maybe help you see yourself a little bit more clearly. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of how people see you, uh, I guess people see you as some sort of legitimate country artist. Yeah. Uh, is that weird? Well, the, the, I don't, was that intentional? No, it wasn't. But like the sound, it, it walks that line. I mean, like our record, I don't really listen to like a lot of country music, um, more like singer songwriter stuff. But our record was produced by Ryan Hadlock, who did the Lumineers and Vance Joy, which is more like Americana. It's more like the Mumford and Sons side of things. But I think it's just like crossover e enough that people are picking it out. Like we went to Sirius, our our label when we did our we're still doing it our push for friends as a single and it's on triple a radio all over the country but we went to sirius and i think they wanted it on um the spectrum which is like the kind of like indie alternative like and instead like the highway found it like channel 55 like the Mm. country station and that song friends and if you go and listen to friends like i can't listen to it objectively anymore um or never could i don't think it's country but it is it's just there enough that like it's being played next to like Keith Urban, but then it's also on WTMD, like getting played next to like Arcade Fire. Rock stuff. Yeah. Why? Why can't? It, obviously, this is easy to say. Like, why can't it just be both? We 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 look at at other artists who do these these crossover appeal where they're on pop radio and they're on pop country radio the whole nine. To me, it would make sense to make a push for a band like you guys to go the country route because it seems like most of the bands following your trajectory with your similar sound are gonna go more of the um like indie alternative whatever we want to call that americana kind of um the mumford and sons uh what's the band i'm thinking of what's the other one um the wilco comes to mind for me oh, or avid brothers. brothers yeah avid brothers, brothers. Yeah. yeah so like i think there are a lot of bands currently because of the popularity of of bands of the Lumineers. There's there's a lot of those bands. There's not a lot of those bands. I feel that are then kind of pivoting and going the country route. And that almost seems like, whoa, there's this there's this there's this highway that's open where I'm not just a solo artist. I have a band, which mm-hmm. kind of feels different in the in the the more popular country world. And that almost feels like, hey, we have this like clear trajectory to 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 be a band. We're not. Blake Shelton and we're we're not Kenny Chesney and we're not it's like hipster country. Yeah, it's like it's cool to be in a band and play country music. Well, what's that band? Um the band Eli. Oh. I'm just thinking of anyone oh. who's a band in the no, no, Sugarland Mid- Midland or something. There's this new band that's like totally country, but like for some reason they appeal to hipsters and it's like a big like like hipsters are into it for some reason. But I don't know, man. I mean like Florida Georgia I, line. That they're like doing their pop like a pop part. crossover yeah but i mean to be honest i'm just like writing music i'm not i wasn't like right. trying to do anything so like whatever people want to interpret it as at the end of the day like taylor swift like crossed over with some of her songs like they were now it's strictly pop she doesn't get on the country stations anymore but her songs that were country were getting played on the pop station like that song um body like a back road like sam hunt that that was on the but like the but the people that are going to be at his shows are probably going to be like country fans, you know, because that's where that's where he's getting played the most, and that's where he started, and that's where his other songs that aren't going to cross over are going to play. I don't think like people with like cowboy hats and stuff are going to show up at our shows. I mean, those aren't most country fans, but um, with I, having a team, do they do they ever say things like, "Hey, we want to, we want you to 
to maybe play the part a little bit. We want you to pivot towards this. We want you to wear it's not that certain clothes to appeal to an audience. No, we're not that. We're not like a pop band. I mean, we like play like catchy stuff, but no, no one's like trying. We're not polish a, you we're a not certain a boy way. Band. Yeah, so right, like it, it kind of like kind of stops there. And I think the main thing is you when you push a song to radio and and a label along with a promotion usually how it's done is a higher promotion company that does just that um and you pick your format you start out somewhere if you're not if you're not like a major if you're not taylor swift you don't go right to top 40 um so we start with triple a so like triple a is saying like you're going to be doing like indie alternative stuff and you're going like right there um we're not choosing to go to country but some some places have started playing our um our our tunes like country stations but i think that's where you start you can't just like yeah we're not like we're not trying to be anything you know we're just trying to write good music and i think it's cool let the market come to you maybe and then kind of see how it shakes out and it's not like i don't know like people listening like might have a a different idea or like not be understand what we're talking about because they're used to listening to a certain type of music but there is a lot of when you want to play music like us, there when you sign with the label and everything, there is just some there is some branding that goes into it, and there is um, talk of, of how you dress and um, people when you when you have a publishing deal, people want to um, spruce up your songs. Sometimes you sit down with someone and they're like, "Well, you should do this and this to make it sound better." So there is um, there isn't total creative like freedom. I mean, you can go that route, but. I think expect to like and and be open to like working with other people. A lot of people think like, man, I'm never gonna like sell out and all this stuff. It's like, well, we're not selling out. You're just like presenting a very like polished, yeah, polishing it, yeah, polished thing. And like when you start getting into that, it doesn't really like bum you out like you think it is. You're like, oh man, this is great. And this person is trying to help me and like make this thing huge. Because the thing is, once you get to a certain, once you have that like hit record. And you make that like certain amount of money for the label and everything, then you're gonna be able to go and do whatever you want. And like that, like the Kings of Leon are like a good example. Like they like they started doing like their first album was great, and then their next album was totally different. And people were like freaked out about that. And I thought I thought that record was gonna like tank, and then they got even bigger because people were like, dude, this is crazy and a totally different sound. So I don't know. Like I'm just I'm trying to like get to that level, and then be able to do you know go in any direction i like the thought of matt halpern having a stylist preparing him for some show that's why he's been quiet this whole episode he's he has actually wanted to give him um a little credit to to go back uh a bit um in watching matt for me was actually a great uh, model a great example of someone who was great in a different arena in a different situation so Matt, Matt and I went to, as we talk about with Nata Tattoo, we, where, where we met them was at Health Expo East. It's like the natural products and it's a lot of food, uh, progressive companies, and, and then a lot of other natural products as well, like the tattoo care uh, products that Nata Tattoo makes. And uh, what was awesome about that for me, I'm very comfortable connecting to people, but it's different to connect with people and have an agenda. And Matt was really, really great at having the pitch down of here's who we are, this is what we do at the podcast, and here's why we think it would be great to partner uh, with you all, whoever the company was, said company. It'd be great to, to work with you all and have you guys come on as sponsors for the podcast. 
And that to me was a very different way of using the same approach that I've used for years. But now I have to actually do it with intention and ask for something that could be a, a big ask. And what was really nice was going around, I got to watch Matt initially with all these ups. And after I watched him enough, I was like, oh, I got this. Okay. And then I would say, hey, what do you think of it? It just bounced the idea of, hey, I'm, I'm going to go this route. What do you think? And he's like, yeah, it's great. And then we could just split up and I could go somewhere. But it, it is great to have like you have Anthony or you have you know other band members that, that probably have like completely different skill sets from you. And you can yeah. watch them and learn whatever they do in their arena where they shine. You can just, you know, cherry pick the good stuff from that and put in your back pocket. And that's, that is again, the beauty of having a group of people, especially a group around you that, that uh, is helping you sharpen your sword every day. Yeah. Do you carry a sword? Of course. Uh, Katana. (laughs) Come on, man. Don't cross the state lines, man. Like I just, we just, we just came back from, she uh, carries a Katana. we We just came, just came back from Canada and they're like, do you have any like fruit? I mean, like they don't, you can't carry any yeah, apples. <laughs> they, like they don't, they don't want you. Like, Jordan, of course, would be the guy. Jordan would have an apple and a banana. Like, of course I have an apple and a banana. Yeah. yeah the wrestler, Jay, Jay Lethal, when we were in, I think, New York last <laughs> time, he's like, man, like what's in your backpack? Because I just always have my backpack on me. And I just, I leaned in. I was like, I got an apple. <laughs> <laughs> What did he say, man? What did he say? Uh, I don't know. Uh, he probably thinks I'm crazy. Anyway, speaking of apples and swords, uh, yep. there's a couple questions in our Facebook group for awesome. you, Mike, um, that I want to get to as we start to wrap this up. Uh, so Todd Feaser, you said you know Todd Feaser. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think from... Um, you said Hopkins, Hopkins earlier. I worked at Hopkins and I managed garages and stuff. I'm pretty sure he worked on like HBO shows like Veep and House of Cards. And I'm pretty sure he was the guy that like contacted me about um renting out the lots for his like production okay so, so what up todd thanks yeah. for asking a question i think anyone's going to hell yeah todd <laughs> we miss you so so todd I, I clicked on his facebook he's in north carolina i guess okay by way of los angeles by way of baltimore <laughs> um but he mentioned the uh the video so you said the song friends is yeah. what's been getting played more recently and there's a bunch of kids in the video uh how do you just get kids um so my bass player Anthony just kind of stepped in. We needed like a second music video. Um, we did one for Caroline. We hired a production company, and um, we weren't going to do one for Friends. And Anthony was just, you know, had been experimenting with some some stuff and hadn't really directed like anything, but had had a bunch of really great ideas. And he was like, "Let me take the reins on this," and came up with the treatment. Like wanted to direct it i was like a little skeptical as much faith as i have and i'd never seen any he'd never done anything before and um, he's like dude i'll handle it and he like went out he found a choreographer um she was based in canada um amy gardner i think is her name and she had a bunch of kids that she worked with um and um she picked five for them from canada and the boy one of the boys xavier is from new jersey who wasn't part of like the group, but they all like bonded immediately. And um, they all came down here and she wrote and they went and location scouted and um, Anthony told her like kind of what he wanted. And then she went and wrote all the, the choreographed all the dance moves and like the kids are like perfect. I mean, you've seen the video, go look up the friends video. We'll, it's, we'll post it for her. Yeah. Say. It's just, it's just five kids in the woods dancing. The band is not in the video. It's great. 
I think I that, did I see video anyway. did I see there was a video with the kids talking about like an interview style video? The kids, of the kids were well? all like so it's like all the all those kids for the most part had like more we're talking about Instagram, like the one girl Bella who like starts the video, she's got like fifty thousand more Instagram followers than us. She's <laughs> she's and so she's like, like hey, can she's like eleven years old and she's like posting videos to her fans and and she's and they're all like the sweetest kids. But um yeah, there's a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. Did you ask her to promote you? I think she. Like, I think she posted the video. I'm like, sure because hey. she promoted it, she's promoting herself, you know. And she so, looks amazing. You get and, a like, selfie she, with her. She got really famous. We we took pictures with everybody. So we, on this next we tour, in, we <laughs> this next in, tour, you can like. Have the answers? Well, no, I'm saying the next tour, you, you can really this, like. Man. You can hit like all the indie rock clubs, <laughs> all these like honky tonks, then and all the middle schools in between. <laughs> yeah, Sophie yeah. said Sophie. Yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, Sophie is the. Is that what you said? No, Bella. Oh, Bella. Where did I get Sophie from? Bella. <laughs> yeah, you, you just go like all of Bella's followers. Just yeah. ask them where they live, and you'll show up. I think play. a lot of. I think maybe. I mean, that's that's a really young demographic. So I don't know how many of them like got turned on to the band outside of the video, but um, Bella's bees. They were they were they were great, man. And those those, those kids were professional. I mean, it was cold out. And we, it was on Anthony's like family's like um, cabin, like in their property, and like we we stayed in this cabin for like three days, and it was like every night the, all the parents and the kids were there, and we would all like make dinner and like play games and like do all this stuff. And um, after that weekend, we like had a video, and then after seeing it, like just the way that it was shot and everything, all like natural, just like light and stuff, it's beautiful, and it 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 just yeah takes you back to childhood, except not as good dancing but still running around the it's just kids running around the woods it's it's it'll it'll cheer you up i mean i promise it's really good it's a great song it's a great video yeah thank you and, and all, all my bass player did the whole did the whole damn thing that's amazing directed and, and produced it so to to really start to wrap up we got joe hamilton our guy over in the uk and and he's curious mike uh what would you say has been the single biggest hurdle as a band or just as a musician throughout your entire career uh and how did you overcome that um there were man i think the biggest hurdle is trying to balance i mean trying to make ends meet while you're doing the thing because music is going to take up a majority of your time but it's not going to pay at first and it might not pay for a long time. It's definitely not something to be discouraged by, but you have to find a way to balance the two. And everyone, any musician knows that's like now successful knows what it was like to like go out on tour and like try to, um, you know, work with your employer and also like work with your like girlfriend and like what whoever else and work renting your in New York. It's like subletting your apartment. So you don't have to pay that month's rent. Someone else, just random person, moves in and sleeps in your bed. It's really weird, but um, I think that's I think that's it. Like just trying to balance everything while you're while you're doing it, um, finding a way to subsidize your 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 income while you're going out there and making it happen. Because you got to find something that's really flexible, um, somewhere you can like work work from home or. Um, drive uber or whatever the hell it is that that you figure out you know something along those lines i think that would that's a pretty big hurdle right we we talk about balance all the time we did a facebook live two episodes ago and i think that's where we kind of landed for a big part of that episode of just 
the balance is tough and, and not only balance in all the ways that you earn a living, but then all the other things in your life. Like you said, you have a girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, you still have family in Baltimore, but yet I'm assuming you have family in Baltimore, yep. but you live in New York yeah. most of the time. So, uh, there, you know, there's, there's health, there's mental health, there's physical health, there's nutritional health. Like there's just, there's a lot for all of us to consider if we want to live a bit more optimally. Um, and it takes, it takes fucking effort yeah. t- to kind of make sure we're paying attention to all these things. You have to work towards it, especially on the road. You have to like actively be healthy because like if you've ever driven around the United States on the highways, there's not much going on and like you got to like find somewhere to eat and like it's all the same shit. So like figuring out where to go and like just whatever you can do and wherever you can do it. I think Zach Merrick is a perfect example of that. He is a great example of it. But I think what's what's smart about him, well, I mean, not smart, but he's fortunate that at the level they currently are at yeah, or that they've been for a long time, he finds gyms to go to. He has the luxury of he brings, you can always see he always brings some gear with him, even if it's just his gymnastic rings. He's in an empty tractor trailer and he sets up those rings. Yeah, he just, well, but I mean, like, like I have rings in, in my trunk. You can hang rings over a branch of a tree or yeah. like, or whatever and set them up and then you you pretty much have everything i mean the whole body can be worked out from the gymnastic ring it's like the like the ultimate test is the gymnastic rings but even outside of that he just goes for a run and there's there's tons of musicians i've heard talk about like um another great bass player who's in great shape is tim comerford from rage against the machine audio slave and um prophets of rage etc he brings i think he was saying how like he he brings like a like a BMX style bike, like a small bike. And they even make, make bikes now that like fold up, you know, they're really simple yeah. that you could stow pretty easily, I think on tour. And he just like, he'll like ride the venue or like ride around. And like, that's his way of checking out the city. I know Zach, Zach always goes for runs. Yeah. You know, it just does like, it's, I think it's a mindset of just deciding like, you know what? Like I don't have time to be sick, especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere. So you got to take care of your health as a priority. Yeah. And, and that's like, as Jordan was saying, there's, there's just, there's levels to that game and there's, there's, there's different categories to that game as well. And so you really just, but I mean, at, at the level even that you're at without having maybe a full rider where you can ask for all the most healthy foods, yeah. whatever else, you could still hit up companies and try to get some people to back you and be like, hey, I'm trying to be healthy on the road. Can you help me out? I'm sure there would be a couple of you know companies out there that would be more than willing to like support you while you're on the road to try to keep you healthy. Yeah, get a, get a, like a, get a Panera to like sponsor you. You know, it's like the one place that's like it's like almost everywhere. It's a franchise that you can like get a salad. It seems like on the road. Like we hit Panera in Chipotle just because it seems like it's the most fresh. Who who knows where it's all from? But it seems it Chipotle. Seems like a, you can actually talk about Chipotle about being fresh and local because they do have a. I forget what the deal was, but but I know that they they have a certain distance that. Is right. where they, they won't go outside these certain distances of where they'll actually source their ingredients from. And speaking of musician, I was thinking California. I don't know where, but I always think about this in Chipotle. Jason Mraz, another mm-hmm. singer-songwriter, is great. He owns an avocado farm. He supplies the avocados for like some nah. of... Of course, this is true, right? He, he supplies <laughs> some of the avocados for like some of the Chipotles in his, his like you know general vicinity. Like that's incredible. And so at least you can start to talk about they have like a moral compass and they're, they have like some more ethics involved with a company. You can get behind that and you can get like a, an easy, healthy meal there. And then you just you get to the venue and you go for a run or you go for hikes like you were talking about. You just get and, you know, connect with your band. It can happen anywhere if you just decide to make it happen. Yeah. 
Jason Mraz, he also has a lot of hats. So you're going on tour soon. True. Speaking of touring. Yeah. Uh, the dates, I guess, are they, they're not announced? They are uh, announced? Just started, we're, we're headlining Music Hall Williamsburg in Brooklyn, um, which is where we're based on April 21st. And then we'll be announcing a six-week tour soon that starts right around um, Music Hall, the Music Hall Williamsburg show on April 21st. And then I think going to like early June. And we're going from East Coast to West Coast. Um Maybe places Montana. We, places we've never been. Like, I think we're going to Montana. You're going to turn 30 on this tour. Yeah, we're going to turn 30 We're going to have a old. birthday party. I'm going to have a party for sure. Probably in the van while we're driving. I'll probably pop a bottle. Are you like a donut, cupcake, cake? What popsicle what kind of guy are you? Um, Man, I really don't. Pie? Like cake that much. Uh, maybe like a cheesecake. Sometimes. So if you're going to. Come out Honestly, and see been, Mike. You know, keep keep your eyes posted on that animalyears.com. Is that where it is? Animalyearsmusic.com, animalyearsmusic on Instagram. Yeah, um, so keep your eyes peeled for these dates when they come out and please bring our friend over here a nice cheesecake. Yeah. May 29th is my birthday. So but but I'll be celebrating the anywhere on the tour. tour so. Please bring Mike yeah. cheesecake. Yeah, come say hi. For sure. Cool, man. Uh Anything else you want to get off your chest? Yo, you said you you and your girlfriend, you check out these videos. Oh, yeah. Um, 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 oh, no. Oh, no. So School of Life. You guys were talking about like self-improvement and, and all this stuff. And there's this YouTube channel that we, we recently discovered, which has all these videos from this um, psychiatrist. And, and we'll figure out the name. Um, but they're, it's him talking, and they're usually three or four minutes about a subject, and they're animated. And um, they talk about like all these different things in in life. Like, why do we why do we get angry at people that we love? And like, why um, it's weird topics? Like, why are why are boys mean to girls that they like? And it's like all these different things, and they're just really easy to digest and understand. And it helps. It just looking at these little things, they've been like helping me like understand people more and coming to understand why people are acting a certain way. And like realizing that people are not necessarily trying to be malicious nearly as much as you think, and basically at all, they're just they're just upset, and they don't know how to like process their emotions. And I'm we're all the same way, and they just teach you about how to like come at come at situations in a different way. So if you want to go on, um, I'm I don't have it, I don't promote it or get any money from it. It's just cool. The School of Life on YouTube. It's worth watching. I haven't looked at a video. I just pulled up the website very quickly. And I think even beyond just getting the value from the individual videos, it seems like you could get a, a nice masterclass in just marketing and being able to connect messages with audiences. Yeah. You know, be, this fact that it's short videos, they're animated. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of this stuff is a bit headier, maybe a bit intimidating or drier for like the average person um but there's always uh creative unique impactful ways to connect uh whatever message with an audience so yeah. I'd, I'd imagine me kind of checking out some of the content i would probably find inspiration not only in the actual content but how it's produced and delivered if you're going to be in a band that's going to last you're going to have to start working on your relationships with each other from day one and like one of the first things that we did was like be very upfront about everything, like talk about things and don't let them fester um, because it's just, it's just so, so many bands break up because they just don't know how to communicate with each other and like people don't understand each other. So like this now and like I have a new relationship 
with someone and like watching these videos, like just immediately starting to like work on like how to how to like communicate better. I've like recently learned that like it's really important to kind of like actively do that almost like every day. Cause you forget that like not everyone is exactly like you. <laughs> you know? And like everyone's like basically unless you're a complete asshole. You're like coming, and I'm sorry I looked at you, Justin, when I said that, but no offense taken. Um, you're usually not coming from a bad place, so that's something I would definitely check out. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, where you know you you really have no idea what someone's going through that day. That might, right. you know, when, whenever you catch them, whatever kind of conversation you're having with them, uh, especially if you're meeting someone for the for the first time. And you just get the wrong vibe. Of course, like give people second chances because you have no, you really have no idea what people are dealing with. Um, yeah. And I think this website is a, is a great nugget. And I think there's there's a lot of great nuggets from you know from the the music video uh, and a lot of other other. And the guy pitching the the the, the guy pitching the no the hitter. Perfect game. I'm gonna go watch acid. that later. Yeah, it's so, great. I mean, all it the, sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> all of all of this stuff. Uh, we actually have a great friend Ryan who um, kind of transcribes, like goes through the whole episode. So I'll talk to him and I'll make sure. And Jordan and I will pick up on a lot of the stuff as well. We'll make sure that in our in our Facebook group that anyone who's listening, if you're not part of the conversation yet and part of this private Facebook group, uh, Facebook.com/group/slash/chocolate-croissants, all of the stuff, the, all those nuggets from from tonight's episode uh, and every other episode really ends up in the Facebook group. So we'll make sure that it gets posted. Oh, you're the one who said it, so you got to make sure that shit happens now. Hey, I'll see Ryan this weekend. I will make sure it all gets posted for sure. Yeah, watch the Animal Years Friends video and check out the bands. Might not be something that you're used to listening to, but... um, I sent some friends today, uh, you covering Zane's Pillow Talk. Oh, man. That's like my favorite gem Yeah, we like to do that. We, we, uh, We don't always... We like to throw in a cover in each set, usually, if we have time. And, and that's a great it's cover. It's fun to do top 40, like like new top 40. And like, you know, the one guy from One Direction like left and put out a first single. And I was like, here's the song we do. Because it's like, it's hilarious. Like the people that know it are going to be like, holy shit, they're doing Pillow Talk by Zane. Yeah, but that's a, it's a great <laughs> song. Like whoever it wrote is. that crushed it. Yeah. Now you got to do Slow Hands by one of the other we, guys. Dude, that is. That's a great song. Can't even, can't even talk about it, man. I have no idea what you guys are it's talking a great about. Great song, Slow Hands. I actually, yeah, that's what is <laughs> oh, his name? I do, Niall I do. Horn. Not Nile. Is it N I L A L? N I A L L. Oh, really? All right, yeah. so Nile. Yeah, he's, he's that's a great one. And then um, I wasn't feeling it at first, but uh, Harry, Harry Styles, Harry Styles, when he put out the solo stuff, I wasn't feeling it at first, and then I like it really grew on me. Some of the, yeah, I haven't really listened to, it, but some of the songs on his album I think are, are are pretty good. I don't know. I think I just heard the singles, but I would. Man, I mean, all of them have put out really impressive singles, so I would check out these records. But I feel like yeah, if, you, the, if you're if you're trying to do pop music and like and like research and stuff and like do writing in that vein, like go listen to all this stuff because the people that are writing those songs, yeah, the blueprints are are there's probably five ten guys in a room that have all have like Grammys and and number one singles, and they're all like working together to write crushing one song. It. Of so course, like, it's yeah, all there. If if you really want to, because we we did this as kids, you know, like buying albums and opening it up, and I would want to see for me personally, like I would want the booklet because who did what on the album. Yeah. Now, like I mean, I go on Wikipedia to see. That's what I do. You know, like because I, I I'm super it. curious. You know, like when there's an amazing Bruno Mars song, and it's like, 
oh, well, that makes sense. There were like five people that all like orchestrated sure. this masterpiece. That's how it comes together. Sure. And that, again, is just another play to like the power of working with other people. Absolutely. Gent artist Bruno Mars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's. Uh, That's a great place, as Jordan would say, shut this shit down or something. Yeah, I do yeah, want to kind of shut this shit long. down. Uh, gotta go. How long has this gone? I guess adding the uh, the first part, can you, can you do that math as. Um, <sighs> Actually, not really. Fuck it. It doesn't even matter. The first part was like 27 some odd minutes, I think, or maybe 22 minutes. And now we're at about an hour and 22 again. So this is going to be pushing, pushing towards the two hour mark. And you know what? I was not expecting this. Uh, I really enjoyed it though, Mike. So thanks for yeah, coming I, and doing I this. I enjoyed it too. I didn't know what we were going to really be doing here. And I, I thought I was going to do like a 10 minute interview about, um, you know, what's Caroline. the, what's the, what's what capo the, are you using? <laughs> oh, yeah, what's the base amp wow, that I bought from you? Fret? Yeah. yeah. I do want to get that off Sometimes. my chest about that, that fucking base cab that I still have. Can you do a capo between frets? No. Three strings on three oh, strings. The yeah, next one. There's, well, there's a save that for the guitar world. When can. they come out to your yeah, tour, you can, to, a, you can use a cut capo for sure. All right. Do some weird stuff, but I'm not. When no, rig no, rundown that's... comes out to you guys, then you'll get into the gear. The what? Rig Rundown. Oh, okay. You know, you've ever seen that? No. YouTube, that Rig Rundown. Okay. All right, I'll give some bells for Rig Rundown, (laughs) whatever the hell that is. Um, So let's just do the the outro now, uh, just to get that out of the way. Uh, (laughs) Mike, you can see how I do these outros. We'll do it as a team. We'll do it as a Um, team. But, uh, okay, uh, episode 48, Mike McFadden. Animal years. Let's clap. Years. This is animal years. I said okay, animal I years, said man. Animal I know you're fucking years, been. Years. How many years did your animal live? So uh, this is like CBS this morning yeah. where the people in the room clap. Ow! Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, animalyearsmusic.com. Clearly, Justin did not do his research prior to this interview. Oh, come on. It should have been animalyears.com. Whoever oh, owns that, I hate them. I know. It's like, we didn't have enough money to buy it. Though. Probably uh, WWF. Like- Probably. World Wildlife Fund. I had a whole conversation Might about be. my my uh, chemistry. So that's the whole thing with wrestling, right? Yeah, they yeah, had to WWE. Name because of the, of I was WWE. Something about that yesterday. My chemistry professor. I was having a conversation about. Oh about, my god, this is wait, never no, going to end. No, this is amazing. We were yeah, having conversations Justin. about protein or something because we're talking about amino acids, right? The building blocks of proteins. And he was like, "Yeah, you know WWF," and I was like, "The World Wildlife Federation Fund, Fund rather." And he was like, "No, no, no." I was like, "You mean like?" World Wrestling Federation. He was like, yeah, like those guys, how big they are. I was like, oh man. And so we, it was amazing. <laughs> I was so not ready for that. You know, to throw back, uh, when, when I mentioned <laughs> Jay Lethal's name and, you know, he's just a wrestler. Uh, he's competing Ooh, for yeah. a world title at the pay-per-view next week. And for me, it's just, that's his name. But then as I kind of, we went into the next thing, I was like, fuck, that's a MySpace name, right? That's the Mikey Danger, Davy Suicide, oh, yeah. Jay Lethal. Mikey yeah. Big Hat. Anyway, uh, we're going to thank Nata Tattoo, our official sponsor this week. Uh, hey, it's just Nata Tattoo, the number two dot com. We don't need the dashes. Fuck the dashes. Should we spell it? Uh, N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2 dot com. Correct. Uh, so Nata Tattoo dot com. Uh, 25% off anything in their web store. Use the checkout code CHOCOLATE25. CHOCOLATE, all caps, followed by the numbers 25. Hey, in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants, we have a contest right now. Uh, basically, just post pictures of your tattoos, give us the story, and we'll randomly pick a bunch of people to give free Nata Tattoo 
aftercare products for? How long is that running for? Uh, I don't know, a couple weeks. There's okay. still time. Sounds good. Um, so w- there is a thread. W- I kind of have it pinned to the top. Uh, Facebook has a new feature where it's not <laughs> pinned anymore. It's called something else. But yeah, basically, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, that Nata Tattoo contest thread will be... I, I guess you don't say pinned anymore, but it's at the top. It of was the, like pulled or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's uh, there. show us your tattoo, show us your story. Maybe we'll get some free product. Uh, so again, we thank Nata Tattoo uh, for their support uh, for the past, I guess, month or so more recently. Uh, also, if you have a podcast app of choice, I'd encourage you to type in chocolate croissants in the search bar. Then there should be a subscribe button. If you do that, one, it helps us. Two, you don't have to think about getting our content every Monday morning. And when we uh, upload it, if you are connected to Wi-Fi, it automatically downloads to your phone. And that means you don't have to use data when you're taking that commute to work the next morning or in the gym or wherever you may be in public listening to chocolate croissants. Justin has his finger up. <laughs> we also have a uh, a new YouTube channel. Oh, uh, fuck. What's, what, do, do you know the URL? Animalyears.com? There is no URL yet. You don't get a URL until you get an X amount of uh, a certain number of subscribers. Not sure what the number is. So how can someone subscribe then? So what I want you to do is when you're playing on your computer and you're going down one of those YouTube rabbit holes, I just want you to easily simply put in that search bar chocolate croissants podcast. I think it's the second thing that comes up. So you'll see episode episode one one. is at least uploaded. So I guess if you click that thumbs up, no, that's a like. That's a like. Is there a subscribe button on YouTube? There is a subscribe button. Yeah, we did make an account. It is all linked and registered to all the chocolate croissants, the website, the socials, the whole nine. But we do need people to go on there. Uh, You can share the episode with a friend. It's uh, it was remixed and remastered by our good friend, Joe Hamilton. Um, so that's awesome. If you want to listen to it again with, uh, with a fresh mix and some new ears or some fresh ears. Rather. So point being, but yeah, on please YouTube go on there now. and subscribe. We need that. Wait, uh, is this still going on? It's, it's still, <laughs> still going on. I just spaced out. I'm, I'm back. It's What's still up? going on. We're talking about the YouTube. Okay, cool. Yeah. So after, awesome. after you watch some animal years on YouTube, you can check out episode one. And, and maybe- we're going to, we're going to end this with Mike. What do you have to say? Thank you guys for having me. This is fun. Yeah, man, we'll uh, we'll have you back. Uh, yeah, and if anyone if anyone has any, uh, come see know, me on the road and bring that cheesecake. Yeah, but if anyone, uh, I don't know what you guys post or if you post on the thing and you have a question, just you tag me or, or whatever. I'll be on there. Like, are you in the Facebook group? I am. He did. He liked the and I tagged him in the the post. And uh, we'll either you can either ask more questions on that post or we'll put up a new one for you. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, and then if you want to connect with Mike directly, uh, he is he's there. He's there for you guys. Yeah, yeah. here's my phone number. Right. Uh, four, <laughs> four, eight. So uh, this is now the end of episode 48. Uh, episode, fuck, the one year we, anniversary is coming up. We have no idea what next week is. 50 is coming up. That's a big milestone. We're also about to hit 100,000 uh, downloads. Downloads, wow. yeah. On the. That's a thing. The, that's a thing. Yeah. I think we're going to do a thing for that. Shout out to Road Mics, the mics that we're currently using. We actually have some really cool pieces that maybe we'll give one away to somebody for the big Jesus, moment. Jesus, dude, you're like saying shit and you're going to have to follow up on that. I but got I think it. that is a good idea. Okay, episode 48. Let's bring this to a close. Mike, thanks again. Everyone, Thank you guys. You're very welcome. You were wonderful, by Thank the way, you. too. Um, everyone still listening uh, to the, the the bitter end of this shit, uh, we're very grateful for your attention. Uh, it is very much appreciated. And... Uh, We don't take that lightly. So much love to you. 
Hope you have a great week. We'll see you in the Facebook group and we will see you back here next week for episode 49. Uh, until then, here's a couple of jingle bells and... Uh, bye-bye. <laughs>